Let's pray. Father, help us to hear again this great news that the angels told to the women in that tomb so long ago, that he is not here, he is risen. So may our hearts fix onto that in faith and rejoice over it with great rejoicing. Amen. Well, this is a sermon about an empty tomb and a vision of angels. Jesus is dead, wrapped in a shroud, laid in the grave. At least that's where we left him on Friday. Joseph of Arimathea gave him some dignity in death, provided a tomb instead of a criminal's anonymous grave. And some women followers of Jesus planned to do more for him by anointing his body with spices. And so they follow Joseph, they see the tomb and how his body was laid in it, and they go home to prepare spices and perfumes. And then on the first day of the week, very early, they took the spices and went to the tomb. And this itself is a testimony to the fact that the women were not expecting any kind of resurrection. They came prepared to anoint a corpse and leave it there in the tomb to decay. But... They had the first of a series of experiences that convinced them that Jesus had risen. First, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body. Now, this by itself might have suggested that perhaps they had the wrong tomb, but they knew the tomb. There were several of them there. They weren't going to all make the same mistake. Or it might suggest that the body had been stolen, which happened in the ancient world, perhaps all too often. If that is as far as things had gone, that probably would have been what they would have put it down to. But then this happens. Suddenly, two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. The angels, wrapped in their heavenly radiance, have a message. He is not here. He has risen And they were asked to remember things that Jesus had said to his disciples during his earthly life, which had made little sense to them at the time. Remember how he told you, while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Jesus was clear that this was the path that the scriptures laid out for the one who was to be God's chosen one, the Messiah. The Son of Man who would sit on the throne of God's kingdom would suffer, would die, would be raised. But this ran so counter to all existing ideas about what it meant for someone to be the chosen one of God, God's Messiah, that it meant nothing to those disciples who heard Jesus say this on a few occasions as he journeyed to Jerusalem. But now the women remember he did say these words. We couldn't understand them. But now maybe they are the key to what has happened. And they went back and told the other disciples what had happened. But the other disciples did not believe them. And who would? Because their words seemed like nonsense. What do you mean? The body's not there. What do you mean angels said he has risen? What do you mean? 
Possibly it didn't even make much sense to the women themselves at this stage. What have we just experienced? We don't really know. All we can do is say, this is what happened. Peter, at least, decides to do some investigation of his own. And running to the tomb, he finds it, as the women said, empty. The grave clothes are abandoned, which is strange for grave robbers to leave an item of value behind, like the linen shroud used to wrap Jesus' body. But Peter goes away and he is still at the stage of wondering to himself what had happened. And if we were to read on to the end of Luke and into Luke volume 2, which is the book of Acts, we would hear about what comes next, a flurry of encounters with Jesus himself, including an occasion where they touched him. He ate a piece of fish with them. He was neither a ghost nor a resuscitated man, a man kind of hauled back out of death only to die again. But he was a resurrected man. That is, a new creation, someone who had kind of punched through death and out the other side into a new life, a life without death in its future. Jesus explains to them over a period of 40 days what he had to say about the Messiah having to suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And after these 40 days when Jesus' appearances cease, a new experience comes upon those disciples, the gift of the Holy Spirit, a gift of boldness and power. And then Peter, who in the end of our reading went away wondering to himself what had happened, stands up in Jerusalem before a crowd and gives a pithy explanation in his first energetic public proclamation of the gospel of Jesus. He says, God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of the, of the fact. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Well, let me stop here and ask two questions. What are we reading here in Luke when we read these things? How should we understand it? And secondly, what does it mean then if Jesus is risen? He is Lord and Christ. So firstly, what are we reading here in Luke? What kind of story is this? Is it a legend? Fabricating deeds for Jesus according to the tastes of a later age? Or... Is it a record of the testimony of those who are at the foundation of the Christian faith? Well, Luke, as it happens, opens his gospel with an explanation of what kind of story he claims to be telling. And he opens like this in Luke chapter 1, 1 to 4. He says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Luke believes he is writing about things fulfilled among us, that is, events 
that answer expectations about what God would do one day in history. But he also says that his material comes from those who from the first were eyewitnesses. So that his patron, Theophilus, or reader, may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So Luke is framing his narrative as a record of testimony, not a legend. Which at least tells us that Luke did not want to present these stories as symbolic stories, as mythic or visionary or legendary. But he presents them as an account of things handed down to us by those with first-hand involvement in events. Now, plenty will deny that this can be true because, come on, you know, there aren't really angel visitations and resurrections. Those things can only be symbolic and mythic. And to this we might say, look, Jesus is a solidly historical figure, a real man whose life we know a good deal about. Let me just quote for you the non-Christian historian E.P. Sanders. He's not a believer and he sums up his biography of Jesus like this. Much about the historical Jesus will remain a mystery. Nothing is more mysterious than the stories of his resurrection, which attempt to portray an experience that the authors could not themselves comprehend. But in the midst of mystery and uncertainty, we should remember that we know a lot about Jesus. We know that he started under John the Baptist, that he had disciples, that he expected the kingdom, that he went from Galilee to Jerusalem, that he did something hostile against the temple, and that he was tried and crucified. Finally, we know that after his death, his followers experienced what they described as the resurrection, the appearance of a living but transformed person who had actually died. They believed this, they lived it, and they died for it. In the process, they created a movement. Now, events give rise to movements, and movements can generate Legends. But legends don't give rise to movements or events. Only events can give rise to movements that might spawn legends. And the only events available to explain the Christian movement are resurrection experiences. Here's E.P. Sanders again. On his assessment of the resurrection, he says, I do not regard deliberate fraud as a worthwhile explanation. Many of the people in these lists, that is the list of people who had resurrection experiences, were to spend the rest of their lives proclaiming that they had seen the risen Lord. And several of these would die for their cause. Moreover, a calculated deception should have produced greater unanimity. Instead, there seemed to have been competitors. I saw him first. No, I did. Paul's tradition that 500 people saw Jesus at the same time has led some people to suggest that Jesus' followers suffered mass hysteria. But mass hysteria does not explain the other traditions. That Jesus' followers, and later Paul, had resurrection experiences is, in my judgment, a fact. What the reality was that gave rise to the experiences, I do not know. Jesus is a solidly historical figure and these resurrection experiences are in the judgment of this 
non-believing historian a fact. We might also say to this, actually, that people still encountered Jesus. While the risen Jesus does not appear in bodily form and eat fish with people, lots of people come to believe that he is alive, that he is at work in their lives, that his spirit opens their hearts to God, makes their lives new, gives them joy and hope, assures them that their sins are forgiven. Jesus is more than just a person in a Bible story. He's active in people's lives today. What then does it mean for us, thirdly and lastly, if Jesus is risen? I don't think it's always simple and obvious that Jesus is risen. There's an objective historical testimony to be sure and there's a continuing testimony to many subjective encounters with Jesus that are inward and spiritual, yet this doesn't convince all people. Some just can't believe it. Some have doubts. Some have no doubt at all. But just suppose Jesus did rise again on the third day. What would that mean? What should we do in response? Exactly this question is asked at the end of Peter's first proclamation about Jesus in Jerusalem. In Acts 2, 36, Peter says, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And the audience asks, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The resurrection means that Jesus has gifts to share. The forgiveness of sins. A release from guilt and the fear of judgement. Jesus has the gift of the Holy Spirit to share, which is a new life and power from God that unites us to God as his Holy Spirit lives in us. We seek and receive these gifts from Jesus when we turn to him and trust in him. This expresses itself in our lives by our repentance, by our change of heart and mind, a turning away from sin, a turning to love and follow Christ. It expresses itself in being baptised, a public commitment to love and follow Christ, the sign that we have died and been raised with Christ. Jesus' resurrection makes it possible to escape the curse of death. 1 Corinthians 15.22 from our New Testament reading, As in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. We all live the life of Adam, which ends in death. We now have opened to us to share in Christ and in Christ all will be made alive. Alive with God for good and all as he is alive for good and all. It's the very best gift we could hope to receive and at Easter we remember that it is ours as we seek it from Jesus. Now, Maybe you don't understand anything much of anything I've said this morning. It's all just, I don't really know what he's talking about. Maybe you've got a million questions about a million things. Maybe you don't know what to think or ask. Just let me end by saying that I'm very happy to answer as best I can whatever questions you might have about anything to do with God, Jesus, death, resurrection, faith, prayer, the Bible, 
My email address is on the server sheet. I'm at church nearly every Sunday. Not next Sunday, but nearly every Sunday. I hope St Ed's is a place where you can come along and learn, satisfy curiosity, grow in understanding, explore these things. I encourage you to do that if there is anything in you that wants to. Let's pray. Father, teach us to make sense of these uh, testimonies to an empty tomb, a vision of angels, encounters with your son raised from the dead. Show us, Lord, how they can be believed and what they mean for us. And help us, Lord, to, to discover in them truth and a gift, gift of forgiveness of sins, the gift of your Holy Spirit, the gift of life in Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. Can I invite you to stand and...